This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition to the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I am sitting with candidate John French, who is running for council. Uh, the first to announce, I think, of all the candidates for either mayor or uh, or council, you're the first to come out of the gate and say, I'm running. I, definitely amongst the councillors, Susan Chappelle. Oh, that's right. Was pretty public about running for mayor long before. Me. Well, yeah, she was public about it, but was she official? I think you were the first official one, weren't you? I'm trying to. I'm trying to split hairs now. At this sure. Point. Yeah, you totally I are. Need, I need to be right. <laughs> well, hello, Marcus. It's good to, well, good to see you again. How are you? Good. So you know, John, you've been here forever. Uh, you were born and raised here. Um, I, w- I was going to make a joke by saying what in the fifties, but no, that's okay. <laughs> um, well, what took you so long? Essentially, I mean, you've been involved in local politics and policies. You've been in journalism for so many years. You've covered everything that has to do in this town. You've you've been very much involved, especially in the chamber and a lot of other things. Why now? Well, it's it was really all about circumstance uh, before this election. Uh, I looked at it in two thousand eleven, and uh, my children at that time were were young quite young. <laughs> and uh, I was uh, working at a job that I enjoyed and didn't want to leave, but felt I would have to leave if I ran for politics. So opted out in 2011. And then uh, 2014, pretty much the same circumstances. My, my kids were a few years older, but knowing the amount of time it takes to be a counselor and time that I'd have to be away from my family, I was uh, not looking at it favorably from that perspective. And again, I was working uh, as a reporter, a journalist, and really enjoying the work that I was doing. So uh, just the timing was never right. I looked at it. I talked about it. Uh, oh, you talked a lot about it. Yeah, <laughs> quite publicly. And uh, you know, many people thought I was going to go for it both of the two previous elections. And uh, ultimately, after looking at it, uh, I concluded the timing wasn't right. And then now this time around, uh, my my children are 17 and 19, and they both live away. And uh, so they have taken the time with family thing out of my hands. <laughs> Your wife doesn't count. <laughs> well, and, and she does count, really, because... Uh, she was the final factor in both of the two previous elections, you know, the two of us concluding that the time wasn't wasn't right for, for me and for my family. And this time around, she's supporting me 100 percent. And uh, she gave me the green light. So I'm in. I've been told by previous counselors that if you want to run for council, because I was thinking about it myself, if you want to go run for council, you need to go to your wife and she needs to back you 100 percent. Yeah. Because the amount of time, the amount that's going to be involved, people are going to be in your face, you know, social life, what? You want to go out somewhere, someone will come and talk to you about something. So your, your privacy is pretty much out the window, which is kind of weird when it comes down to local politics, especially in Squamish. And local politics in Squamish has pretty much uh, evolved into something different, I think, uh, in the last 10 years with the way the uh, the, the town has been growing, uh, the way uh, I would say the demographics have changed. And so, John, I mean, you, you've been here forever. Uh, so how, how would you how do you see the change? Is, is it a positive change, good change? How are you going to adapt to it? How are you going to represent the people of Squamish? Holy, that's a lot of questions. All in oh, one. I know. Um, <laughs> well, how I will categorize the change is, yeah, it's change. And whether it's positive or negative, uh, I, I think that every single individual will decide that for themselves. And for me, for, from my perspective, Squamish now is a dynamic community that doesn't look at all like it did in 1985 when I was in grade 10. <laughs> Above and beyond the population increase, this town has matured a lot. We have a world-class resort to the north, which has developed itself in my lifetime. 
to truly become an international resort. And we have an international big city to the south. And uh, Squamish has been forced to grow up and follow those two international destinations. And it's brought some um, big talent to our community. That has caused Squamish to be far more sophisticated than it sure was in the 1980s when it very much was a logging town, an industrial center. Uh, We're not that anymore. Industry, for the most part, is gone. And uh, that changes the dynamic significantly uh, of the community from from my perspective. And And I think most people will totally agree. And then another thing that has really caused us to mature in ways that I never would have guessed when I was growing up in the 80s, is the introduction of higher education with Quest University. Uh, we don't quite have Capilano University's involvement in the community we, the way we did through the 80s. But the number of private schools in our community, uh, I mean, that was unheard of in the early part of the 1990s when I started uh, my journalism career here in Squamish. So change, yes, and maturity for sure. And uh, I have seen a lot of change in Squamish. And, and I'm anticipating I'll see a lot more before I'm done. Oh, yeah, Squamish is in a state of transition right now. The old government has pretty much done a lot of research and a lot of planning towards a, a big transition because we're having lots of growth. I mean, we're, we're building homes, a lot of development. We're trying to bring in new business. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different issues going on now than I would say back in the 80s. And what issues do you think should be addressed mostly here at this point, at this juncture in Squamish? Uh, number one is economic development. And economic development for me touches out into a few different places and, and two key, housing affordability and regional transportation. So let's just look at economic development for a second. We're a community that empties out Monday through Friday. You know, north and south commuters are gone at 6 a.m. and they come back home at 6 p.m. And that does not really make a true community when so much of our population is not truly connected to the community as the community uh, it creates a dynamic that um, it's not tight so jobs right here in Squamish let's find ways to reduce the number of people the number of smart people who are bailing out of our community every day to go to work somewhere else and have some ideas around job creation. And most of them lie with the private sector because you know we've seen over and over again, it's been proven, it's been shown that government as a job creator is not a great idea. Leave that up to the private sector, the people that are really good, the entrepreneurs, at creating jobs and opportunities. But getting the private sector up here, though, you have to incentivize them, right? Like, why would they basically uproot and come to Squamish uh, when and they might lose one or two staff members that don't want to move up to Squamish? So th- there's some incentivization that needs to be done, I think, to bring some companies up here. Do we have room for that incentivization? Because, yes, we need to diversify the economy, but, I mean, the, the budget's kind of tight. Yeah, um, the budget is the budget, and the amount of money that we have to work with is the amount of money that we have to work with. And I take a look at what the Economic Development Department of Municipal Hall is doing. I think they're doing some great work, and uh, I think they have great work ahead of them. So that is a relatively new office, and economic development is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It's a long-term initiative. And uh, I believe that the economic development wing of Municipal Hall has a long-term vision. I want that group of talented individuals to be empowered to do what they know to do and continue the good work that they're doing. And then in conjunction with that, I also want to look at policies within Municipal Hall that get in the way of business. Let's take business permits, for example. Building permits, rather. If you want to put an addition onto your house, you need a building permit. 
it takes way too long About for you to weeks. get that billing permit. Yeah. Six to eight weeks. And there are businesses who won't do business in Squamish because of that lag. There are communities around British Columbia who can have your building permit way quicker than that. So let's get that sorted out. That is an incentive to business. And in theory, that's not going to cost a whole lot of money because that is simply looking at processes at Municipal Hall and figuring out how to improve those processes so the building permits can be issued quicker. I don't exactly know what that looks like, and I know there has to be a discussion around it, and the six other members of my council will work with me to get that process figured out. And mostly that's a discussion, and I want that discussion to happen as fast as possible because that is an economic development initiative that's going to get government out of the way business so business can do what it does best and create the jobs right here in Squamish that I'm looking for. But that's not the biggest impediment though. I mean, there's, there's zoning and then there's housing and lots of other things that are going on there. I mean, again, like, yes, you bring up business. Yes, they're able to develop, but then you, the people need to afford to live here. They need to do a lot of other things. Yes, they'll, they'll start, pave the way to make things a little easier for business that are already here. But I mean, how do you still get companies to come here? Yeah. So you talked earlier about incentivize them. I think a lot of incentives are already here. We're one of the most beautiful places in the world to be. Mountains, oceans, trails, recreation. Uh, our weather is pretty good, enviable. Those who have located their business here know all of that. Yeah, we probably should be looking at further incentivization, but let's not sell out the farm. To No, to... I'm, not, I'm not saying sell out the farm, but I'm saying you still need to get people to come. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, yes, you can market. For example, I'll take it on a bigger scale. Let's go macro scale here, right? So Amazon said, we want to build a new office. And look at the bidding war that happened all over North America. I mean, we... And I'm not saying we go to that big scale and uh, try and get an Amazon, but it's one of those things where if a company is looking to relocate or move somewhere, uh, I don't know if we are exactly in the position to be giving away the farm. Our incentives might not necessarily be as attractive as, say, other towns. So apart from geography and climate, which is fantastic, there's got to be other ways to sort of get companies up here. The reason why I'm drilling on this is because this is where I get stuck. Because without saying, well, well you pay less taxes which we cannot afford, how else would you get someone to come up here? One of the things that this next council needs to be acutely aware of is the future of our industrial lands. We, we have already given away massive amounts of industrial land. Prime example would be the old inner four sawmill, which is no longer industrial lands. Houses are being built on that site as we speak. Next in, uh, that used to be a chemical plant. We're in the process of turning that into a park and uh, housing and uh, commercial space. Two massive industrial pieces of property that are no longer industrial, and both of them are waterfront. So we need to really watch and make careful decisions about waterfront lands and connection to industry and make sure that we preserve all of that because once it gets converted to housing, that's it. It's very difficult to get it back into industrial. So Squamish terminals and Site B, where the log sort is, those are integral to the future of Squamish as an industrial outlet, which it should continue to be because we have rail access right to the water. Uh, we have road access right to the water, all key to, uh, to industry. And then uh, the, the former BC rail lands, uh, that is currently industrial, slowly uh, housing is making its way closer to that industrial land. Again, industrial land preservation is going to be very important for what you're thinking about 
in the way of attracting businesses of that variety. And then, you know, it's 2018. There are a lot of people doing amazing things from their homes over the internet. Do we need to incentivize people in those kind of businesses? I don't know. I think we have it all already. The incentive is already there. We just need to figure out how to get the message to them so that they know we're here and they know what we have to offer is exactly what they're looking for from a lifestyle perspective. Since we're on industry and industry lands, let's go to your favorite topic. I think what everyone's favorite topic would, would be um, LNG. I, I support the project. Yes, I do. One thing I think the big argument is the last government wasn't really at the table. And I think now it's time for them to be, for the council to be at the table. What, what do you feel? Like- so let me talk to you about partnerships. Past councils uh, have treated some of their relationships as us versus them. And, and I'm talking about uh, some developers, uh, you know, and, and other local businesses. And us versus them doesn't do any good for anybody. Partnerships, however, are a little different. When we work with our stakeholders as partners, we'll find solutions together. Solutions that work for everybody. You know, if the District of Squamish goes into a negotiation with a business operator of any kind, whether it be a developer, whether it be a big industry, if out of the gate it's the district looking and fighting for what it can get out of the deal, then that doesn't work so well. If the two sides are working together so that the district gets what it needs out of the deal and the proponent, the business, gets what they need out of the deal, everybody wins and it works for everybody. So a little bit too much us versus them in the past, and I'm looking to shift that more into a partnership world so that everybody wins. Partnership world is great, but at some point, do you agree though in the last few years that perhaps that we've been taken advantage of or we could have gotten more than, than we did? Uh, I I believe that uh, CAC, so Community Amendment Contribution, this is something that uh, developers um, contribute to a community when they, when they build a subdivision or a multi-unit uh, housing. I, I believe Squamish has uh, left some money on the table, some money and some resources, and I think we could have done better. And moving forward, I will be keeping an eye on that to make sure that Squamish is getting what is fair out of those types of agreements. You know, that's that's a, just a case of understanding what other communities are negotiating in, in similar scenarios and making sure that we're in that ballpark. I do think Squamish is in a bigger position now to not dictate terms and not be us versus them, but more, as you say, a partnership, but at least get like a 50-50 instead of like a 70-30, which I think we've been getting. Lots of money needs to be spent to fix Squamish at this point. We do have Brennan Park and we have uh, you know some systems in place that needs to be repaired and fixed. Uh, I mean, we're talking about hundreds, of, like Karen Elliott, I think, will throw out the number $100 million, you know, of spending to actually get things done. I mean, and that's where we're, we're talking about diversification of the economy. Like, we need a lot of money to fix this town up, right? And uh, that's one of the solutions to getting us towards the infrastructure deficit that Squamish is facing as the pipes get older and the money available to replace them uh, just doesn't seem to be materializing. Uh, that is definitely one of the solutions is partnerships with those developers to make sure that uh, what they're making in community amendment uh, 
Well, I agree. And it's, I, that, that's been one of the big proponents of, of, of uh, I think, a lot of people are talking about is, is getting their fair share uh, or getting our fair share. I mean, taxes uh, have been going up. I mean, the cost of living is not easy. Yes, I, you can say that we are the, one of the lowest property tax areas in Canada. However, with the cost of living and the way the housing is, any type of property tax raises is, is, not, uh, is not ideal, especially since it's increased I feel like four times the rate of inflation um, you know, in the last 10 years, which is, which is it's tough for some families to swallow. So yes, bringing in development, bringing in business will help hopefully with the, with the tax burden. But I mean, what, what else could you do to help uh, ease the minds or the pockets, let's say, of the residents in Squamish? Absolutely. The tax increases over the last 10 years in Squamish have been too high. You and I have been paying too much tax in this community, in my perspective. And I'm committed to doing everything I can to make sure that your next property tax bill is 1.5% or less increase. Okay, so now working in precise numbers like that is difficult because... Well, you're of, making guarantees, yeah. Yeah, and so, so I'm, you know, I, I don't sit here and say I guarantee that any given person in Squamish is going to pay no more than 1.5% increase in their property tax. But here's what I'm, what I'm getting at. The property tax increases that have been uh, pushed onto the citizens of Squamish in the last 10 years have been high, higher than the average across British Columbia. We need to get present to that reality and make sure that we don't continue to do that to the citizens of Squamish. And one way to make sure that doesn't happen is to have industry shoulder a greater amount of the property tax, as you know. Our industry base has been siphoned completely off. Uh, the amount of tax coming from industry is insufficient. And over the next four years, I'm committed to finding a way to get that industrial tax base increased. And I, I would love to see you do that. It's just it's one of those things to me, it's, it sounds easier said than done, but hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully, it, gets, hopefully it gets done. Um, and, and so it comes down to, like I said, affordability of Squamish, right? Not only taxes, but also proper use of development, right? Um, so when it comes down to uh, housing and so forth, like or what kind of developments are you looking for? Like you can't just bring in all business. I mean, there's, we're still growing as a community when it comes to population base. So, I mean, there's, there's ways of going about it, like smart growth and so forth. So, I mean, you're going to have to find that balance. Yeah. And I talked earlier about partnerships. Again, this is where it gets important. Uh, we have some developers in town who get treated really well and some who don't get treated well at all. <laughs> in fact, some are shut right out. Uh, I think the Chima plants are a key to what you're talking about right now. People are coming here, and we know that uh, because it's a great place to be for you know all the reasons I talked about earlier. And we have a lot of housing units that are on the books already that don't exist, but they are planned, and we're getting ready for them to come. And none of them are on property to the north of the Garibaldi Highlands, an area that, in my belief, is a pretty good spot to be developing housing. It's up out of the floodplain. There is not a lot of wetland. And what wetlands there are in that area, uh, I could see easily. We could build around them, preserve them, mitigate, make sure that uh, we don't get significant disruption of those wetlands. That could be part of that housing solution that that we're looking at right now. 
I don't go as far to say that we have a housing crisis in Squamish. We absolutely have a problem. There is an issue. If we had more housing, that is a significant part of the solution. And we have developers who want to bring that housing and are being shut out of the market. So we need to look carefully at the thousands of units we already have on the books and make sure, as you said, that we apply smart growth principles to those developments. I want to draw your attention to uh, Government Road from the Malcolm River Bridge to the BC Rail lands. So that stretch has seen a lot of change in the last 10 years. Density, way up. Trees just wiped right out. Cars, cars everywhere. (laughs) Because we have the classic case of uh, uh, homes that have a carport and a garage. Carport's got a vehicle parked under it. Garage is full of skis, bikes, ATVs, water skis, all the toys, the climbing gear, the kiteboards. And then vehicle number two in the household is parked out on the street. And government road in that stretch has seen that. And it looks like the density is only going to increase in that area. We need to be smart in planning areas like that and think long term and make sure the mix is appropriate for the neighborhood because it's my belief that that stretch of road is going to become an undesirable place to live because we're packing too many people, too many cars into too small of an area. Someone would say the same thing about downtown Squamish. Yes, I would say the same thing about downtown Squamish. With the one way in, one way out, and then the Jumar, which is a nice hot-button topic, um, which I think was a failure on many levels of government on that one, uh, school board, uh, the uh, the municipality itself, uh, the way that it was zoned. Um, so, I mean, it, there's got to be some relief there. I mean, you're just not going to let it build and then leave, leave it as it is. I mean, there's going to be some remedies there, or is there any plans to like maybe build a second round of Squamish, pave that back road in, um, and then talking about also densifying downtown by increasing buildings to, by, you know, for them to build higher, six or seven floors. I mean, is that part of your vision? The density downtown, what we already have and what's already on the books, I believe that's it. We have filled downtown once the existing proposals are completed. So within the next 10 to 15 years, I believe that is it for the downtown peninsula. That place is going to be bursting at the seams when it is built out to what we have on the books at this point. So again, that's where places like the Chima lands become really important because we need to look at that for long-term planning. And Quest University, there's some room uh, in, in that area for future housing developments. And then uh, up the top of, of Valley Cliff, there's room there for future. Well, well, Valley Cliff, again, it's only one way in, one way out. I mean, you're going to start having to start paving some roads somewhere. Yeah, and, um, you know, one day are we going to have some kind of connector between the backside of Valley Cliff and Garibaldi Highlands? Maybe. Uh, the trails are there. The trails are there. There were logging roads. Well, the, the trails are built on former logging roads. You know, I think about back to the 1970s when... People who really wanted to get from the back of Valley Cliff to Garibaldi Highlands, if they had a beater, (laughs) they could do it. And they did. So, you know, the corridors are there and the connectivity uh, is there for long-term planning. So where is the priority list then for the connectivity? Because if we were densifying downtown and there's a lot of projects going downtown, again, we only have the one way in, the one way out. We do have that back road, uh, that, that go, you know, the, uh, the estuary road. I mean, you can pave that. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. Is that is that priority to get sort of the traffic moving? We do we do have lots of cars in town. Yeah. Well, from, from my thinking, higher priority uh, alternative way in and out of downtown higher priority than the emergency access road that you're thinking of that skirts the estuary uh, would be some kind of connector uh, into the old Interfor 
sawmill site, uh, a bridge over the Macomblind Channel. Uh, so Pemberton, let's see, where uh, the old senior center, the BC Hydro substation, so and the the train bridge somewhere in there, uh, there there is a strong planning already in place for another way in and out of downtown. Well, that's good. It's good to see if like, we were able to get in and out, especially with all the densification happening. Uh, Jumar, like I said, is, is one of those big hot topic issues. I mean, uh, where, where else, where, where do you stand on it? Bad idea, good idea? Uh, well, an idea that's in the ground. So right. whether I think it's good or bad is completely irrelevant because it's going ahead. <laughs> right. Well, and, I mean, it, like what I'm trying to get at, lead to is, is zoning laws and about changing how, how things are zoned. Is there, do you think the way yeah. things are managed now uh, can be improved or is it like that was just a, an oversight? Well, Jumar is complicated because of how it was going to be an oil and lube place, which required rezoning. And that was not well received. And that proposal got chased out of town. And then, you know, somehow, quietly, uh, the current housing developer got onto that property, got the rezoning that was needed for that project, and here we are today. Um, but the official community plan, as it sits right now, I support that document. Um, it, I believe it's a pretty good long-term vision. And I also support being flexible enough to know when our official community plan needs to be amended because it doesn't suit the needs, the current needs of our community. So you, know, you often hear people, why do we have an official community plan if we just change it on a whim? Well, official community plans don't get changed on a whim. Uh, it takes something to make an official community plan change outside of the regular multi-year review process. And what's really important for for zoning changes and anytime you tinker with the official community plan is to listen listen hard listen like your life depends on it public hearings are held for a reason and uh the seven members of council when they set through a public hearing they really need to hear what their community is saying and sometimes i feel like uh in in past councils they haven't really listened they've gone in and they've sat down with their agenda in their trench and they're not listening to what people are saying about the concerns that they have for the, whatever zoning change is being discussed. And I absolutely am committed to hearing both sides, all sides, every side in those public hearings. And uh, wh however I ultimately vote is going to be based on taking in all of the information and all of the concerns. So we talked about densification and we talked about lots of cars and how do we alleviate a lot of cars on the road? We talk about transit, right? And so transit, I believe, is one of the biggest uh, issues we have in Squamish. It's, uh, it's, I think one of the polls stated that transit is huge, especially up to Whistler and the Greyhound is no longer operating. What are your plans you see for, for basically transiting around the corridor? We absolutely need to work with PC Transit and transportation companies in the state private sector. I'm glad you mentioned Greyhound bowing out. This is a great opportunity for private operators to get themselves into that business to move people more effectively between Whistler and Squamish, Squamish and Vancouver. By working with the private sector and BC Transit, I'm confident we can come up with transportation solutions that are going to make it easier for people to get around regionally. Because 
Right now we have a scenario where there's a lot of households in Squamish with two vehicles. And that creates all kinds of challenges. Uh, for homes that are small and have a small footprint, it means one of the vehicles, maybe even both, are being parked in some kind of public situation, whether it's on the street or a school parking lot, you know, like wherever people can find parking, they're finding it. And uh, regional transportation just needs to be easy for people so that there isn't a need to have two cars in your family. People can get away with one because it's easy to hop onto a bus and get from A to B, whether A is from downtown to Brackendale or from downtown Squamish to Coal Harbor in Vancouver. Well, there are plans. Like um, there have been, there've been research, there's been planning, there's been lots of studies, tons of them. Uh, all the studies, the research, the money that needs to be spent to create transit between here and Whistler. Just Whistler was never coming to the table and, and making that deal. It seems like uh, the new mayor up there, well, the, I wouldn't say a new mayor, this guy is running unopposed. He's interested in creating a sort of a transit system between uh, Squamish and, and, uh, and Whistler, which would benefit. But there have been some smaller companies in town trying to fill in that gap. Uh, it's just one of those things where I think, uh, do we give them extra resources? Do we help them along or we just do, you know what I mean? Like, how do we increase the service? I believe there are discussions underway right now. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of, um, public transit announcement for the sea to sky corridor before our election on October 20th. Um, I, I actually hope that happens because I think that that will be a good initial springboard for us. Squamish as a community to get to the next level on regional transportation because it's not all up to BC Transit. It's not just Resort Municipality of Whistler, District of Squamish, and BC Transit to get our transportation situation sorted out. It's way bigger picture than that, and it's way more buses than that. And it's that means including infrastructure. That means getting private companies to step up, right? Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. what I'm saying. We come back to the incentivization question. Right, we have we have to help these companies come in and set up. Right? Do we though? I don't know that I we do. Know. So I'm asking. Uh, let's let the entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best. And you know, I, I'll point to a specific company that I think is doing some amazing things right now in Squamish. That's the Squamish Connector. It started off, I believe, with one bus, and I I believe they have more than one now. This is a company that has grown with the community. Well, we, in the transportation sector, we need more operators like that. And I've, I've heard the owners talk about their vision for the future. They're committed long-term. And they're all about making a difference for moving people around. I don't hear them talk about, uh, you know, percentage profits. And what's driving them is the service they can offer to make a difference in people's lives. And those are the kind of entrepreneurs that I want to see locate to Squamish because they're the kind of people who get that we live in an amazing place and they're here because they want to be here, not because they've been incentivized to be here. Now, let's, let's, get, let's sort of switch gears a little bit. Now, when you get elected, it seems like a lot of the incumbents are pretty much gone. You're going to be with a whole new crew. Uh, and also with, with Karen and, and Susan running for mayor, um, basically all the experience on council is pretty much vacated uh, when you come. So do you see any challenges sitting there with, the, with new councillors with uh, hardly uh, any experience under their belt? If this next council is made up of seven political rookies, yes, I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also excited because 
if that scenario plays out, seven political rookies, and is is a very real possibility. You even have a mayor rookie too. Exactly. I'm excited because the closest thing to the to an incumbent on that council is me. Let's talk realities, right? I have attended more council meetings than every single person on this current council. Meetings are one thing, but the the minutiae of the of the and the details of the work, like the twelve hundred page documents, and and so like doing the heavy lifting, right? And the the processes. I'm ready for it. How I know you're ready for it. I'm ready to learn for it. But then you still have the. uh, It's still going to be challenging, I think, if Uh you have brand new people up there who are sort of not sure what's going to happen. Yes, absolutely, and we're not sure what's happening. I'm really hoping Doug Race is good for another four years. He was the highest polling counselor in the last two elections. So if he runs again, I'm pretty confident that uh, he's got a massive base of support that will get him back in. Yeah, I just, please, Doug, if you're listening, (laughs) do it for the community. We really need you. He's a great guy. He's full of wisdom. Um, he's easy to work with. Well, let's hope there's a transition committee then. So some of these guys can sit and, and spend some extra extra time with you guys to basically go through the policies and the, and, the, and what's in play and, yeah. and help you guys, I guess, uh, learn the, the how, how the system works. Because the one my greatest fear is, is that, you know, we have some great planners in town. These guys need to be treated, you know, somewhat like gold. Because, I mean, it's one of those things where uh, cities are growing everywhere, They'll take them, and it's hard to replace good ones. So for having a brand new council and possibly a brand new mayor, it's one of those things where planners get into trouble when they have to basically be creative. They like they follow direction. It's like, this is how you want it? Fine, we can do that. Not a problem. But it's when they have to be creative is when some cracks happen, and then all of a sudden, blame game starts happening. That's where my fear is, is that we have inexperienced uh, leadership group with very high, like very experienced guys who you tell, well, we, this is what we want. And he's like, uh, okay, I guess we can do that. And then there's a little bit of a glitch and then everyone starts screaming at each other. And honestly, I don't think we can afford to lose the planners that we have. They've been here for a while. And like I said, there's, they're, they're pretty good people. You focused on planners. And then I'd like to get that spotlight a little wider to the chief administrative officer, the head of finance, the general manager of operations. Oh, I can't remember the exact title, but the, the senior staff at Municipal Hall. I know I know the characters well enough to be confident that those staff members will do an excellent job of guiding the new council and, and getting them up to speed on what their roles are and how Municipal Hall works. And then those people, they operate with the district staff. And I believe we have uh, an extraordinary group of people that are running the district of Squamish. Remember, I've been following municipal affairs in Squamish for a long time. I have seen morale amongst district of Squamish employees rock bottom at its worst. And I can tell you right now, my observation is the morale amongst the staff at the District of Squamish from all levels is good. Then how can we take it to the next level? How can we raise the bar? And one way that I see that bar being raised is this current group getting stuck (laughs) with a rookie council that doesn't know what it's doing. And that staff is going to have to raise its own bar to make sure that the new council members are getting everything that they need to get clear on what it is they're doing and how they're doing it. So now I'm not saying that the staff should be steering the ship in in the first six months of of this new council because that's not how it works. It's going to take some real teamwork. There's no doubt about it because no matter how this election plays out, there's going to be a lot of new people at that table. Well, for sure. And, and, And a new mayor. 
I mean, when Patricia decided not to announce, it was a bit of like, what? You're the incumbent. You're the favorite. Now you have uh, three mayors and soon to be four uh, candidates uh, that sort of have different visions of how Squamish should should grow. Uh, and I guess your, your challenge would be how you're going to work with these new mayors because... Uh, uh, I think Karen, I, I, I could be wrong, but I, Karen is more like Patricia, uh, what, what, you know, the way that things have been going. Susan is a firebrand. I'll call her a firebrand. I don't think she'll mind me calling her a firebrand. And, and then you have uh, Jeff. Uh, and so these are relatively, you know, different views and perspectives of, of how Squamish should grow. And then we have uh, another fellow who's been in the community for a long time. Involved in business, uh, I'm not going to officially announce this person until he officially announces. Um, so you're, you're looking at working on a council with six different people, possibly six different views, and a mayor that might not have the same vision uh, as we are accustomed to. So from a campaign perspective, I am running my council race on my terms, in my way, and I am not getting distracted at this point around what's going on with the mayor's race. Here's what I know. Of the four people you've just mentioned, I have met with all of them, and I'm confident that whoever gets in, I will work with them just fine. Their characters are all quite different, and as you point out, their politics are are varied, and whoever gets in, I am excited to work with that individual. They all have their own strengths, and they all have some weaknesses, and one of the things that I like about weaknesses in each of them is my strengths complement all four from a perspective of strengths and weaknesses. Well, John, you've, I think you successfully transferred from journalist to politician. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the mayoral decision is out of my hands. Now, I could wade into it. You know what? Well, I, you need to vote. So, yeah. Well, I, and I will vote. Right. And I will vote how I vote. I could choose to not tell anybody how I'm going to vote in the mayoral race, or I could choose to be public about it. At this point, I'm not, because... I'm not asking you to, though. Okay, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this is important. This is an important point. The four people who are in the race, at this point, I believe any one of them could win. You know, Karen Elliott and Susan Chappelle have the advantage of incumbency. Uh, Their names are high profile. They've been around for a while. Jeff Cook, doesn't have that and has no political experience other than having run once before and not quite made the cut for counselor. He lost by what, 12 votes? Very close. Yeah, he very close. Very narrow. And uh, the fourth person that you mentioned, that person has got a base from which to work. So, you know, any one of those people could be the next mayor of Squamish. I don't feel like at this point it's my place to have any kind of influence in the outcome of that race. I wasn't asking whether whether you would pick who who you follow or who if you're if you're on the on board with any individual uh, candidate. That's not what I was asking. I was asking what your relationships with them and the fact that you'll have uh, you have four different types of personalities and how you will work with them. That was essentially the original question. But when was the last time? And you've covered local politics for la- for a long time. When was the last time we had more than two candidates running for mayor in this town uh well that gets a little murky because of ron Baum, right uh he's he's four he's thrown his name in and then you know two weeks before the election said i'm out don't put a tick beside my name um okay so if i flip back into my history book a key election in the late 80s or early 90s it would have been early 90s there were three mayoral candidates chuck harvey corinne lonsdale and egan tobas and Egan Tobis was your classic, 
union left wing, big union support. And back in the late 80s and early 90s, the unions were a big force in Squamish. Corrine Lonsdale had been saying she wanted the mayor's chair and she would be challenging Egan Tobus for it. Chuck Harvey was a councillor at the time. He threw his name into the mix and split the the right wing vote with Corrine Lonsdale. And that caused Egan Tobus to get back into the mayor's seat where he had been before. So... I, 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 so this fast, this history fascinates but me. This and I'm saying, like, it's <laughs> '80s and '90s where we had three candidates, right? Follow, like, run right to the end. Usually, we had like you, you have your two. There was one time where Terrell Patterson said, "I don't want uh, a mayor to be acclaimed. I'm going to put my head in there yeah. and almost won." Yep, against uh, Ian Sutherland. Yeah, and so now we have four. So yeah, and I can in in my time, I don't know of any election where there are four candidates for mayor. There will be four. Must clear, clarify. Yeah, uh, I'm, anticipa- yet. I'm yes. anticipating that will be the case. <laughs> and Marcus, here's the thing: I wouldn't completely rule out a fifth person uh, coming well, into the race. Well, my my fifth, the person I think we're talking about, I, I've heard differently uh, on the fence still, but um, or maybe not. But maybe you know different. You, you're a little bit more entrenched than I am. I guess I should be much as entrenched as you. I should say. <laughs> but I mean, that, that just shows you where, where Squamish is, right? Where, where you have four mayoral candidates, possibly five. And just to show you what kind of a crossroads we're at in this town, right? And it's democracy in action. Bring it on, I say. Bring it on. The people gets to choose. Exactly. And hopefully we get people out to vote. Yes. October 20th is the the magic date. And then, of course, there are advanced voting opportunities ahead of the 20th. And uh, I'm I'm really excited for a huge turnout in Squamish uh, in this next election. I'm hoping for at least, yeah, at least over 50%. That'd be great. It's unheard of, but hopefully get over 50%. And those commuters actually realize that local government, you, when you're dealing with government, which is the paradox, it, when you're dealing, you deal with local government and provincial government more than you ever do with the federal government, but people take more pride in federal government than they do when it comes to municipalities. And they're the ones who directly affect you most. So yes, we need people to go out and vote. I wish you the best of luck in your upcoming election. And um, Wait, why are we wrapping this up? I didn't even talk about a second sheet of ice for Brennan Park yet. I support that. I will be working towards it. Thanks, John. Thank you, Marcus. This has been really fun. Let's do it again sometime. Oh yeah, I'm here. <laughs> this is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.